0: What's good, boys and girls? Welcome back to the Two Footed Podcast. It is Tuesday, the 29th of December. Hope you've all had a very good Christmas. We're brought to you by EPLindex.com, an association representing sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, so do check out their services at LibertyShield.com and use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. There were a lot of games While we were away for a few days Uh, We had a full 10 games at the weekend And obviously then Monday's games as well To have a quick glance back at We'll launch straight in There's no point in messing around Uh, First game on Boxing Day was Leicester City against Manchester United This turned out to be quite an entertaining game Two teams that play good attacking football Two teams that defensively have some issues Uh, We end up with a 2-2 draw uh, Harvey Barnes cancelled out Marcus Rashford's opener and then Bruno Fernandes put United 2-1 ahead before an Axel Tonzebi own goal. Even the scores, I think Jamie Vardy has tried to claim that goal, but does like it will be given to Tonzebi. This was a good game. It was a good back and forth affair. Leicester, I thought, played some really, really nice football in this game. Um, and they went with largely their, their strongest team. I, I'm not sure that all Brighton is is part of their best 11, but with Sionchu and Pereira, the only absentees, it was largely their best team. And I think they matched up very, very well with the United side, who rewarded Dan James for his performance against Leeds with another start, stayed with that McTominay-Fred pairing in midfield that has worked for them. Uh, but made changes at the back. Lindelof starting at right-back was a very strange decision, and uh, Eric Bailly started centre-back. I, I thought you could you could really see that that right side of the defence was where Leicester were targeting um, the likes of Harvey Barnes, the likes of uh, Castagne, who's back, attacking into that area. They did get some joy from it. Bailly didn't look particularly... Good. He didn't look like a fellow who'd played um, much football in the last 12 months, I suppose. Um, but all things considered, I think both teams will be happy with the point. Both teams come out of this game in the top four. United will be very happy with that. They obviously play tonight against Wolves. Gives them an opportunity to move into second place. And they'll still have a game in hand on Leicester. So they'll be thrilled at where they are. Uh, for Leicester... The two draws over Christmas may be a little bit disappointing, but I think if you'd given Brendan Rogers the option of being in the top four after the Christmas period, he he'd very much have taken it when play began. Uh next game up then was Fulham against Southampton. A fairly dour nil-nil draw. Nothing really to to really talk about. Two teams that seemed more intent on not losing than winning the game. Um the lack of Danny Ing's for Southampton was was a big blow. Obviously, no uh Musigenopo in the in the starting team either. And Ariel Romeo was suspended, so they had to play Diallo at at defensive midfield. Fulham will be happy with this point because Southampton have been, you know, riding fairly high this year. And for Fulham, every point picked up is is gonna help them in in their battle to stay up. Uh, another good performance uh, from Zambo and Geese. I thought he was the best player on the park again. And if a team comes in for, for him in January, it wouldn't surprise me. It would surprise me if Fulham were listening to bids, but it wouldn't surprise me if somebody at least called about him. He has been great for them this year. Um, next up then was Aston Villa against Crystal Palace. Palace off the back of that 7-0 defeat to Liverpool. were looking for a reaction, and unfortunately they didn't get it. Bertrand Traore put Villa 1-0 up after five minutes. Really good goal, got in the end of a nice move. And then things got strange. Turn Mings was sent off um, for a second bookable offence. A very stupid bookable offence. Just gets caught out of position and starts pulling and dragging out of people. It's, it's something he's been guilty of for a while. But you would think that 1-0 down against 10 men, you would think Palace would have something to offer. But they didn't. They just capitulated themselves. Um, No real explanation for it. I'm not really sure how or why, but they just fell apart. And Villa managed to grab a second and third goal and win 3-0. And for Palace, that's, you know, 10 goals shipped in two games. Two really, really poor performances overall. This one, I think, will be even more disappointing than the Liverpool one because, again, 45 minutes against a team with 10 men. They didn't really look to create much they didn't really have any sustained periods of pressure uh, villa allowed them to have the ball and just cut them open on counter after this game then we had some questions being asked about roy hodgson obviously he's had a contract at the end of the year there's been a lot of talk that he's not going to renew or the palace aren't looking to renew him and some people were suggesting that maybe it's time for them to move on anyway um to make that change, to go in a different direction. They've got quite a lot of talent at the club now, and maybe bringing in an Eddie Howe or somebody could see them move into a different phase, um, see them make the most of what talent they do have, and maybe convince Wolf Zaha that his long-term future should be at the club. Um, for Villa, really, really good win. Anytime you can win with 10 men, you're going to be happy. And to do it in that manner, I think they'll be delighted, uh, David Douglas Louise and John McGinn just tremendous again. Um, getting Ezri Konsa back as well, huge for them. He came on and played very well after Ming had been sent off. And I think Villa—they look like they're moving in the right direction again, which is which is always good to see. Um, off the back of that, then probably the biggest surprise of the weekend, or at least of of Boxing Day, Arsenal three, Chelsea one. Now, maybe this isn't a surprise because I still think Arsenal will finish in the top half and obviously Chelsea haven't beaten anybody in the top half other than West Ham, who I think will likely finish in the bottom half. So maybe this result shouldn't be a surprise, but I think the manner of it was very surprising. Arsenal race into a 2-0 lead. Uh, Lacazette and Jacca putting them 2-0 up. Xhaka's goal, an absolute peach that everybody should watch over and over again. And then Osaka on the 56th minute, with he claims it was a shot. A lot of people claim it was a cross. I don't know either way. I don't care either way. It was a really nice goal to see by a really talented young player. And Chelsea just looked lost. They looked void of ideas. They had 19 shots in the game, only three on target, which will tell you the caliber of shots they were taking. There was no real tactical plan. They went with Pulisic, Abraham and Werner as a front three, Kovacic, Kante and Mount. As a midfield three on paper, it's their best team, especially when you look at that defense. Reese James and Ben Chilwell, both of whom were meant to miss these games, both of them started. Now James ends up getting hurt, but they went with basically their best eleven. And Arsenal carved them apart, exposed their defense, made them look very, very average. Arsenal changed things up, went with a four-two-three-one. Al Nenny and Jack in midfield. The pairing worked well. Emile Smith-Rowe, who I've been calling for, finally got a game, played as a number 10, played really, really well. Saka, Smith-Rowe and Martinelli behind Lacazette, it worked, there was balance, there was movement, there was creativity. Arsenal looked like a completely different team. If you hadn't seen them play all season, you would think they were a good, functioning team. It was really nice to see. Chelsea looked dreadful. Really, really dreadful. Tammy Abraham got them a a late goal, but it was only a a consolation. They did get a late penalty, which Jorginho uh, missed. He's obviously, he stole Bruno Fernandes' little hop technique a couple of years ago, and it's been successful for him for the most part, but he misses this time. Leno makes a decent save. But Arsenal deserved the win, and they deserved the win by at least two clear goals. They were by far the better team. It, It is a massive, massive win for the Gunners, and hopefully... For Mikel Arteta Hopefully it will be the start of a turnaround Hopefully we can see them now You know start to pick up points And get themselves moving in the right direction Because I still have faith in Arteta I still think he as a coach Has really good ideas I think he's got a clear vision of what he wants I think he wants to play good football I think there's a lot of talent at Arsenal There's still a lot of work needed They're still in the early stages of a rebuild And, and I think one of the problems is They were trying to Rush it along artificially with you know signings like Willian and and bringing in or, or I'm sorry and giving Obamian uh, that that long term contract, but I think we got a little view of what life would look like without those two in the team, and I th- think it was better than anything we've seen with them in the team this year. Um, next up, then after that was Manchester City with a very routine two 0 victory over. Newcastle, uh, nothing really to talk about in this game. City were very, very comfortable. Newcastle didn't really pose much of a threat. A couple of half chances. Edison made one good save. But other than that, it was it was largely one-way traffic. Carl Darlow had another good game, another impressive game for Newcastle in goal. But uh, this was all City. And really and truly, if they'd been... If they'd been more ruthless, I think they score four or five. Aguero misses a, a decent chance. Um Sterling missed a half decent chance. Sterling, I thought, played quite well in this one. But um, yeah, very, very routine. Nothing really to get, get overly excited about. And then the last game on the day was Everton 1 0 win over Sheffield United, of course, because Sheffield United don't win football games. And then he'd draw once every seven games or so. So this was bound to be an Everton win. But they did leave it late with Gilfie Sigurdsson scoring a winner in the, eight, uh, the 80th minute. I have to say, I, I did think Sheffield United put in a better performance than what we've seen uh, in, in a lot of their games this season. They've been better of late. Um, They changed their shape ever so slightly and went from that 3-5-2 to a 3-4-2-1 with McGoldrick and Brewster around Ollie Burke. And I, I I thought they had enough pace and movement that they did cause Everton some problems. Everton, of course, playing four centre-backs because the they've got no fit full-backs, but they did cause them problems with movement. Uh, I, Ollie Burke had a great opportunity. He him, broke in on the left-hand side and could have squared it back to Brewster, who was in a really good position, but he chose to shoot. And unfortunately, didn't go well for him, but I don't know with Sheffield United. I, I, their performances are, are getting better, but the results are staying the same, and it does just seem like they're completely out of anything resembling luck. Um, two points after after 15 games, two points from 45, not really where you want to be at all. Six points shy of um, West Brom, now 11 points off safety. Safety being. Burnley and Brighton in 16th and 17th on 13 points so it is a massive massive hill for Sheffield United to try and climb but stranger things have happened I suppose I mean Leicester won the league so you never say never in this league but all things considered I think Sheffield United are looking looking good value for a, a place in the championship next season Um Moving into Sunday then, uh, the, the day started off in controversial fashion. Leeds won Burnley nil, but the talking points in this game were that Burnley got absolutely screwed by some dreadful officiating. Patrick Bamford wins a penalty for Leeds in the fifth minute, and I still have no idea how it's given as a penalty. I really have no clue. Nick Pope clearly wins the ball. Bamford goes over. The penalty is given. There's no foul. I I refuse to accept that there's a foul in that instance. Pope clearly gets the ball. Uh, to double down on the dreadful officiating, we go down the other end of the field and once again leads uh, the worst team you'll ever see defending set pieces. Ball into the box. Ben Mee is backing in, eyes only on the ball, about to jump And the goalkeeper comes through the back of him, puts his knee in his spine, catches and then spills the ball. The referee immediately blows his whistle. Now, I thought when he blew his whistle, it was going to be a penalty because it's pretty clearly a foul on Ben Mee. The ball drops to Ashley Barnes, who puts it in the back of the net. And somehow it's a free out. And I have no idea why. And I've watched it over and over again, and I cannot figure out where the foul on the goalkeeper is. Ben Mee is playing the ball. The goalkeeper plays the man, drops the ball. There's no foul. And Burnley are completely screwed out of... They deserved at least a point from this game. Burnley were the better team throughout this game. They missed some good chances. Jay Rodriguez and Chris Wood both missed good chances. Now, in credit to Leeds, Harrison and, and Pablo Hernandez both missed good chances as well. But I thought Burnley were the better team, the more dangerous team throughout. Both teams played some good football. It was an enjoyable game to watch. But for me, the referees spoiled it. They absolutely spoiled it in the first half with the decisions they made. Two completely wrong decisions. And Sean Dyche was rightfully annoyed after the game. Spoke out. Said he was going to go in and speak to the referee and hopefully get some answers. But knew he wouldn't get them. And he made some really valid points about how the game has gone to almost becoming a non-contact sport. And as he said himself, like he played centre-back. If he, as a centre-back, had come through the back of somebody the way uh, Melier did on Ben Mee, it would have been a free kick against him. But yet, goalkeepers are just protected beyond belief. I don't know how... I don't know how that's not either a penalty or just play on and let the goal happen. Because the referee blew the whistle so early... It ruled out being able to use VAR to allow the goal. He should have let play develop, and then seen what happens. It's really bad from the referee. Really, really bad from the referee. And Burnley should feel annoyed because that is a point, or potentially three points, that could have lifted them further up the table, into into 16th, and given them more of a gap on the teams below them. Kept them in touch with Arsenal, who obviously had won on the day, as, uh, won the day before. Burnley are annoyed, I'm annoyed for them. I, I, don't, I think Bielsa was quite annoyed as well about his own team's performance more than anything, but all things considered, um, yeah, just poor officiating. Uh, we're here again. Uh, after that then, West West Ham drew 2-2 with Brighton. This was a good game. The, both teams played some good football. It was highlighted by some dreadful defending by both teams, um, largely on set pieces and such. But uh, I think a draw was a good result for both teams, especially for Brighton traveling away. But um, it, it was nice to see a little bit of a change from um, from David Moyes, went with uh, two up front where he played Bowen and uh, Sebastian Haller as a pair. And they did combine quite well. Now, it did mean he went with more of a five in midfield because he dropped Pablo Fernals, rested him perhaps, um, Balbuena and Ogbonna, both of them had calamitous defensive displays, neither of them would want to see replays of that game but uh, that midfield pairing of, of Suchek and Rice does continue to be very, very impressive for for Brighton I, I, I'm i struggling I really am struggling with, with what the plan was, I mean Ben White played as basically a wing back it didn't suit him at all Um I know that Lamptey is out But surely you have someone in your squad More suited to play in that role Again they, they went with sort of the empty shirt approach In midfield And uh, Eze Basima Having to carry the load there From a, a work rate point of view But all things considered Davy Proper can't get back into that team quick enough Andy Zakiri was on the bench Which was an interesting one um, You'd wonder if maybe he Is going to be Getting some game time soon it, it highlighted Brighton's need for a front man, for a target man, for somebody that can hold the play up and allow Mopé and Troussard and McAllister whenever he's going to get games. Uh, really disappointing, again, that he doesn't get get any minutes on the pitch when Johan Bikesh is coming on, who's been poor for them for three years. But Graham Potter is, is you know, he's trying his best at the moment to get through a, a tough situation. But it's a tough situation is, is in large part of his making. Uh, Brighton have only won two games this season, but fortunately enough for them, they've drawn seven and only lost six, as opposed to Fulham, who've won two, but lost eight. So Brighton stay two points clear of Fulham. Uh, But I have to say, uh, I'm I'm beginning to waver on, on Brighton's future in the Premier League, unless they make moves in January. I really am. West Ham are in a bit of a funk at the minute, only the one win from the last five. But Brighton haven't won at all in the last side. they've thrown three in a row, which is good. It keeps them picking up points and taking over. But this was an opportunity where they could have won the game. And if they'd been a little bit more ruthless in front of goal, I think they would have I think they would have won the game. Uh, we'll move on. Liverpool won. West Brom won. Uh, I don't even know where to start. It was um a dreadful performance by Liverpool. Um West Brom came, parked the bus parked another bus in front of it and then put a minibus in front of that and everybody expected it to happen apparently except Jurgen Klopp who said after the game that nobody could have predicted that they'd play like that. Now maybe he was being sarcastic, maybe he was just having a little dig at his players that they should have expected it. I don't know, but all things considered, Big Sam got exactly what he came for. Uh, Liverpool went 1-0 up through a Sadio Mane goal after a great pass from Joel Matip, which tells you all you need to know about what kind of creativity they were getting from elsewhere. Uh, Liverpool dominated possession, kept West Brom pinned within their own penalty area for the most part. I mean, I don't think West Brom really got out of their own half in the first half. But there was just a lack of creativity, a lack of urgency from Liverpool. Trent Alexander-Arnold's not having a particularly good season. And once again, he was poor in this one. All three midfielders were utterly atrocious. Uh, Jordan Henderson had 174 touches. And when the least technically proficient player in your team has that many touches of the ball, you are not going to create very much. He had a stinker. Curtis Jones had a stinker. And got a little bit arrogant late on. And sloppily gave the ball away, which led to the corner from which West Brom scored. Ginny Wijnaldum did not have a good game either. I do think the centre-backs and Andy Robertson played well. I think the front three were okay. But all things considered, Liverpool will be very, very annoyed about this. It's another two points thrown away and it's a fifth throw on the league this season and too many draws cost in the title in 18-19 and given how every other team in the league Leicester, United, Chelsea, Everton, City, Spurs, the other teams that have ambitions of top four or more keep dropping points Liverpool really should be using this as an opportunity to build a lead at the top of the table, but they haven't been able to do that. And this was of their own doing. West Brom get back into the game. Late, late goal from um, Semi Ajaya, 82nd minute. It comes from that incident that I mentioned where Jones gives the ball away. Uh, Rhys Williams is forced to concede a, uh, free, a corner. Reese Williams, of course, has to come on because Joel Matip got hurt, rumoured now to be out. For eight to ten weeks, Liverpool need to buy a centre back in January. There's just no way around it. They need to buy a centre back in January. If they don't, they're going to cost themselves the title. Because Reese Williams and Nat Phillips are not good enough yet, or maybe ever, to play regularly at the Premier League level. Fabinho's a centre back a central midfielder playing centre back and doing an incredible job, but give him someone to play next to. Um, yeah, so West Brom take a short corner. In the build-up to this short corner, Liverpool have two players stood waiting to greet the oncoming West Brom defenders who are meandering their way into the Liverpool box. And Ajay is one of them. There's two Liverpool players. One of them points to the other and says, you take them too. And then walks off and stands in no-man's land. Jay was his man, and he's gone standing in, in no man's land. Jay gets a free run. Now, not to be biased, but I do think he, fi- he fouled Sabino. He does jump all over him, uh, strangle him, stick his hand in his eye. It's a, it's an ugly scene. And Loop, the ugliest-looking header you'll ever see, into the corner of the net, hits the post and bounces across. Chef, uh, sorry, Liverpool didn't deserve to win this game. West Brom didn't really deserve a point. But for diligence, for sticking with a game plan, you kind of feel like they did deserve something. Uh, They did have one other good chance. Carolyn Grant forced a really good save from Alison Becker after uh, Reese Williams' lack of pace was badly exposed. Liverpool should have won this game comfortably. It's their own fault they didn't. Uh, 17 shots in the game, only two on target. West Brom had five shots, three of them on target. West Brom had 21% possession. It was a remarkable sight to see every player bar Allison Becker within 40 yards of the West Brom goal for most of the first half with a line of six defenders and a line of four defenders. And the Liverpool players just kind of scattered in between them. There's parking the bus and then there's Big Sam and things and Big Sam does things differently. Very, very special man. A very special man. Um, disappointing. Disappointing, for Liverpool. Right, last game then was, on, on Sunday, was Wolves against Spurs. Uh, Wolves, again, without Raul Jimenez' look, a little bit blunt in attack. And when Tanguy Endembele put Spurs 1-0 up after one minute, you do start to feel like maybe Wolves are going to struggle here because no Jimenez, a back four, including Connor Cody, who just isn't a good defender, Uh, you kind of felt like Spurs should be able to carve them open, but Spurs were dreadful. Spurs were really, really poor and reverted to doing that thing where they just don't attack. They lined up in a back three for reasons known only to Mourinho um, and were quite content to see out the game with a 1-0 win. Pedro Neto is a special talent that Wolves have their hands on. Uh, And he is the sole reason they got a point from this game. His willingness to drive and take people on and take shots from range and, and force set pieces and then deliver quality ball from set pieces is what got them back in the game. And it was his corner that's headed in by Romain Sace to give Wolves a one all draw. Wolves need a central defender. There's no question they need a central defender in January, but they definitely need a center forward as well. And I think with the news that Diego Costa has terminated his contract at Atletico Madrid and with his agent being one Jorge Mendez, I wouldn't be surprised if he rocked up at Wolves. Now, they've been linked with some others, Andrea Belotti uh, of Torino. They've been linked with Luka Joivic of uh, Real Madrid. Joivic would be a really interesting signing. And I think he would work really well with Jimenez when Jimenez comes back as a front two. But Costa might be a short-term fix. They could go for both if Costa's on a free. Get Costa in just to give them a little bit of fight, a little bit of gnarl, And maybe act as a bit of a mentor for Fabio Silva, who's got the talent, but physically he's not anywhere near ready for the Premier League. And it looks like his confidence is a little bit shot, even after getting the goal uh, last time out. It does look like his confidence might be a little bit shot, but he's got talent, there's no question there. Um, that was the the Saturday-Sunday games. And then last night, uh, first up, we had Crystal Palace won, Leicester City won. I think this will be a disappointing result for Leicester. Given the Palace had lost their previous two games by a combined total of 10 goals, uh, I think Leicester would have been expecting to win this. But Leicester did make a lot of changes throughout the team. Uh, Amarty came in, Luke Thomas came in, Mendy and Chowdhury came in, and then Priyat, perez and ianacho come in the tack so you know all things considered seven changes uh, you'll take the point um palace had made some changes as well jeff schlupp back in instead of uh, Eberich Easy, Tariq mitchell in at left back J- jaro Riedeveld, another he's a he's another good player there and he's one that's often overlooked and i've overlooked him as well a few times but as a holding midfielder I really like him. I think he works really well. Now, he doesn't work as a centre-back in the Premier League. I'm not sure why. It just has never worked for him. But as a holding midfielder, he's good on the ball. He reads the game really well. His positional sense is good. He lets Mil- Milivojevic get forward. Milivojevic? I I, I butcher names. You know that. Um, he lets him get forward a bit more. And it does help when they attack. And uh, this was a pretty decent game, I have to say. Um, Zaha puts... Leicester one up after Ianacho has missed a penalty, which the less said about the better. Really, really weak penalty. But Zaha puts uh, Leicester one up. Really nice finish. Casper Schmeichel probably should save it. He probably should save it. It's very much at his near post. He probably should save it. But it's a good volley, good finish. Harvey Barnes goals in back to back games. He's 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 a really good player. He's a really special player. I mentioned Neto in the last game. Harvey Barnes is up there with him as well, one of the best young players in the league. The type of player who could play for any club and improve them. He's a very, very talented player. and If he keeps playing like he has been, I think he's definitely going to have a big future and he's definitely going to play for England um, before too long. Um, Like I say, I think Leicester will be a little bit disappointed with this result, uh, but they are second, so they can't be too upset with that. For Palace, 13th is about where Roy wants them to be. Um, you know, minus nine goal difference probably not, not not ideal for for Roy, but he'd like to be about minus four. That's normally where Roy's comfort zone is. But all things considered, I think Leicester will be a little bit disappointed with the two draws, but happy with the league position. So for Leicester, the next run of games is Newcastle away on the the third of January. Then they get Stoke in the cup. Then they get Southampton at home in the league. Chelsea at home in the league, Everton away, and Leeds at home. That rounds out their January. That is a very tough month. Five games there, none of them easy. Three at home, um, and probably the three that they'd want at home being Southampton, uh, Chelsea, and Leeds. That Everton game will be tough. The Newcastle game will be tough. Uh, Life is going to get difficult for for Brendan and his boys very quickly. They're going to need to make sure they're on their game, their depth is a little bit of an issue, but is almost back, and it looks like Ricardo Pereira should be back soon enough as well. So they'll have their full complement. You just worry about what happens if Vardy can't play or Vardy has to sit a game out, um, because the lack of goals without him is a little bit of a concern. For Palace, looking ahead, they have Sheffield United at home next. That's a game they will be intent on winning. Then they go to Wolves in the Cup on a Friday night, so that'll be fun. Uh, Then away to Arsenal, away to Man City, at home to West Ham and at home to Wolves. So again, a difficult month. Uh, You'd hope that, well, they'll hope that they'll win that first game against Sheffield United and get themselves moving in the right direction. Um, Because after that, it does get tough. Arsenal... If Arsenal play like they did against against Chelsea, they're going to be a much more difficult team to beat. And then obviously City will be very, very tough. The, the West Ham game is another one they'll have eyes on winning. Wolves is another tough game, though, against a team that will probably finish in the top half. So it's a difficult month, not nearly as difficult as Leicester's. But for Palace, they'll just need to pick up points as they go. They're going to be safe because it's Hodgson. And his teams are always safe. It's what they do. Uh, the last game then from our uh, weekend that we've missed, I suppose. Chelsea won. Aston Villa won. Um, another game in which Chelsea failed to beat a top-half team. But they did make a lot of changes for this game. Christensen and Rudiger came in at centre-back. Aspilicueta came in at right-back. Jorginho came into midfield. And... The entire, well, two-thirds of the front three were changed with Hudson-Odoi and Oli Giroud coming in. Oli Giroud put them 1-0 up. Really nicely worked goal with Giroud, Pulisic and Ben Chilwell involved. And it's Giroud who puts it in with a really nice header that the keeper couldn't do a whole lot about. But from there, I did kind of feel like Villa were the better team. Um, I don't know if the stats will back me up on that. Chelsea had more of the play and more shots. But I did feel like Villa were the more threatening team. And when they attacked, they looked more like they were, you know, in sync, like they had defined patterns of play, like they had a real game plan. Uh, Ezri Konza back in the team was huge for them. Douglas Luiz and John McGinn, again, very good in midfield. Troyore and El in the wide roles, again, pace, directness. Grealish floating about, doing what Grealish does. It all worked very, very well. And I thought Maddie Cash and Matt Target both had good games as well. Um, they get themselves back into the game with a, a an Anwar Al goal. He's now I think he's got four and five games or something like that of of late. And since getting back in the team, he's you know proving that he belongs. He had been out of favor early in the season when Trezeguet, Watkins, and Grealish in a, in a front three was the way. And then Triore had arrived, and you thought, well, that's Al Ghazi pushed to the fifth attacker at best. But he's in the team. He's scoring goals. He's playing well. And a, another good finish. A um, little bit of controversy about this one. So, Grealish has a coming together with Andreas Christensen. And it looks like Grealish leaves his foot in a little bit. Both of them hit the deck like a ton of bricks. When the free kick is not given, Grealish immediately bounces back up to his feet and he's absolutely fine, despite having looked like a sniper had taken him out only mere seconds beforehand. Uh, Villa play on. And Christensen is still down in a heap on the ground. Um, It's a good cross in from the right-hand side. And El Ghazi puts the ball through Mendy's legs when you really want your keeper doing a bit better. Mendy had some really, really poor moments in both the Arsenal and Villa games. He looked terrible on crosses. His decision-making was not good. His judgment was not good. Uh, His positioning was not good. And he was coming off his line at weird times. I think Villa. I think sorry, Chelsea still have a goalkeeping uh, problem. I said when they signed him, he's yeah, he, he's better than better than Kepa is at the moment, but he's not. He's not a championship winning or a, a title winning goalkeeper. You're not winning the league with with Eduard Mendy in goal. No way. Um, I thought Christiansen Rüdiger actually played quite Christiansen and Rüdiger quite played quite well in front of him. That's a partnership that they've had in the past. It's a partnership that works quite well together. Rudiger's aggression and athleticism and dominance in the air, and Christensen's sort of more the one that reads the game and talks everybody through, and you know does the little small in between bits and much better one v one defender than Rudiger. But all things considered, I thought they played quite well, but were let down by a goalkeeper who just—he's a great athlete. He's—he's he's really good shot stopper he's really aggressive on crosses but he flaps at a lot of things he palms things into pos- back into play in dangerous positions his judgment is way off and he doesn't fill me with confidence with his feet either so i think chelsea are going to have to once again go in january and probably look for another goalkeeper not in january sorry in the summer they won't they won't do it in january but in the summer i think they'll probably have to look for another goalkeeper uh, Chelsea obviously not in particularly good form at the moment Only four points from the last five games Which will pile the pressure on Big Frank um, Up next for Chelsea is Manchester City Now, that game's in doubt We'll get to that in a second Then they get Morecambe in the cup That's a nice easy one They go to Fulham Which should be a win Fulham are in the bottom half So you'd expect Chelsea to win But it's a local derby Chelsea, uh, Fulham are a little bit feisty at the moment Then they go to Leicester Then they play Wolves. And then it's Burnley. Now, based on how they've played this season, they will probably beat Fulham and Burnley. Maybe Wolves, because Wolves are currently 11th. But there's probably a couple of defeats in there as well, um, because it's top-half teams. So I think the pressure is going to mount on Frank over the next little while. He hasn't figured out what to do with Werner and or Havertz neither of them were in the team um for Havertz didn't start either game but uh, Werner was dropped for the Villa game and he doesn't seem to know how to use him and Pulisic in the same team he doesn't seem to know who his number nine is because he plays Tammy one week he plays Giroud the next while they're both playing well it's not really beneficial for the others around them because they're both very different players who require a different type of service, and you know, if you're playing with Giroud, if you're a team of Werner, it's you play differently with Giroud than you would with Abraham, who's going to spin and run in behind. Whereas Giroud is more of that hold up type of player. They lack creativity, which is concerning given how much money they've spent. Um, are they solely reliant on Hakim Ziyech for creativity, and their fullbacks, who are, you know, to be not to be disrespectful, but they're poor man's version of what Liverpool have. You wouldn't take James and Chilwell over Trent Alexander-Arnold and Andy Robertson unless you're a Chelsea fan. Uh, Trent is better than than James and Robertson is better than Chilwell. That is just simple fact of the matter. They're good players, but you don't want to be reliant on them. You can't surely just be relying on Hak- Hakim Zayic. Like I say, hasn't figured out how to use Havertz, hasn't figured out how to use Werner. I've said before, I don't think he planned to sign either of them. I think they were both... Opportunistic signings, but I mean, you have them there. You're going to have to figure out ways to use them. You've got to figure out how to get as many of your best players on the pitch as possible. The problem for them is that the best way to do it is probably to play either a 4 4 2 with a box midfield or a 4 4 2 without net wingers. They don't have the center midfield pairing to play that, to play either of those shapes. And there's obviously still issues at center back, still issues in goal. They're a long way from the finished product, and they've spent an awful lot of money to get halfway there. Um, I do think Frank's job is probably under more threat than people think. And I'd imagine that a certain move by Paris Saint Germain in recent weeks, uh, recent days, I should say, has opened up some line of communication within Chelsea's upper echelons about whether or not they have the right man in charge. Um, So, as I mentioned, the Chelsea. Oh, sorry, the, in terms of what Villa have next. Uh, Villa are up to fifth, which is great for them. They have United next on Friday. That's obviously a big game. Then they have Liverpool in the Cup. Liverpool will play their, their children and the reserves, and no senior player will play. Uh, then it's Spurs, then Everton, then Burnley, and then Southampton. That is a horrible run of games for them. That might be one of the toughest January schedules that anybody in the league has. Um All bar Burnley have real European ambitions and Burnley have been much better of late and it's at Burnley, which will be tough. So it wouldn't surprise me if Villa see a little bit of a dip here and maybe drop off just a little bit, but at the same time, they're good enough to compete in each and every one of those games. And they currently sit fifth with their game in hand uh, on Liverpool. They, if they were to win that, they would only be three points behind the premier league champions. Um, Yeah, I mentioned the Chelsea-City game. That game is in doubt because City versus Everton was called off yesterday after a COVID outbreak at City where I think it's five players and two staff were uh, tested positive. That's the same as what happened with Newcastle. So obviously this game, as with Newcastle Villa, was called off by the Premier League. Now, lots of people are trying to complain about this, say that the rules very clearly state that if a team refuses to play, uh, they will basically forfeit the game. City didn't didn't refuse to play. City were going to play. The Premier League made the decision. Now, yes, they made the decision late, as opposed to the Villa-Newcastle game where they gave them like two days' notice. They gave the players four, or like the teams four hours' notice in this one. But it is what it is. It's a, It's a fluid situation. Not every situation is going to be the same. Not every game is the same. So I think the Premier League made the right decision. Uh, I think it it probably is going to put the, the Chelsea game in doubt, though, and may even put their uh, EFL, Capital One, Carabao, Rumbelow's Milk Cup or whatever it's called game with Manchester United on the 6th into doubt. It doesn't help City at all. It does not help them at all because this is just more games that are going to get added to the back end of their season when they're already going to have a, a, a lot of games to play. Like They're going to be in the Champions League. They'll probably be still in the FA Cup. The League Cup final got moved to April. They're going to have all these league games to now make up. City are going to end up with a week where they play something like Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday, or Friday, Monday, or something like that. They're going to play four games in like nine, ten days at some point, and it's going to be horrible for them. So this doesn't help them at all. Uh, So for the people saying, oh, they're just trying to help City, they're not helping City at all. This is the exact opposite of helping City. City would much rather have gone and played Everton and even gotten a draw than have to play that game at some point in April when they've already got. Remember that Villa game that was ca- called off at the start of the season; they've got that to come in as well. So City are not happy about the fixture congestion. Everton are not happy at all, and that's fair enough. They're they're entitled to be upset, but have a little bit of class, lads. Just a small bit of class wouldn't go wouldn't go amiss. Uh, speaking of a lack of class, actually. So Dean Smith played largely the same team against Chelsea that he had against Palace. And then he came out afterwards and basically said he'd never made a substitution due to exhaustion, which, number one, is a lie. Uh, And number two, just would fly in the face of you looking after your players. The same Dean Smith, by the way, was complaining about player fatigue in July. So to say that he's never made a change about due to exhaustion. It's just nonsense. Like he's always complaining about something. And then Gary Lineker chimed in and was like, oh, I wanted to play every game. I didn't want games off. First of all, Gary Lineker ran about four kilometers per game. He was notoriously lazy on the pitch when he didn't have the ball or his team didn't have the ball. He did zero defensive work, waited for a team to get the ball and just ran in behind the centre backs. That's what Gary Lineker's game was. Secondly, Gary Lineker was regularly substituted on about 60 minutes. So I don't know what he's really talking about. Gary Lineker didn't play in an era with the pace of play we have today. He didn't play in Europe for the majority because he was at clubs that weren't in Europe. Uh, And if they were, they were out early. So he wasn't playing Champions League football. He wasn't playing European Cup football. He may, he was playing some UEFA Cup football or cup winners' cup at Everton. But you know, when you consider that most of the games Lineker played were just domestic football, and he didn't have that expectation of having to play in Europe and having to play game after game after game, season after season. It, it's just not the same. Like He's talking out of his backside. I mean, this is a guy who, in a 16-year career, only played 460 league games. I mean, James Milner has played like 700 or something like that, something ludicrous. Um, Lineker, in his entire career, played 32 games in European competition. He didn't actually play any for Everton. He played 24 for Barcelona and 8 for Spurs. So he was largely just playing league and domestic cup. And even domestic cups, he didn't play a whole bunch. Seven, eight, nine games a year. Not, not a whole lot. And then he went to Grand Passate and played 12 games a season for his last two years. If he wanted to play every game, Why at the age of 33 Did he go off to Japan to play 12 games a season If someone can explain that to me I'd be greatly appreciative Uh, Gary Lineker was a great player And I'm not taking that away from him But consider that in his last season For Spurs He scored 28 goals In the league 35 in all competitions And then basically took a year out Before heading off to Japan So I mean, if he wanted to play every game, he wouldn't have gone and played for Grandpa's eight. Very, very strange. Very, very strange. Um, I think that's it. I think that is us for today. Anything else we want to wrap up? Well, sure, you know what we'll do. We'll fly into some gossip. The transfer windows just around the, the corner, so let's have a quick look. Uh, Arsenal are interested in Barcelona's out-of-favour. 21-year-old Spanish playmaker Ricky Puig he'd be a great fit there. If, if I don't know if that is from David Ornstein, but if it is, there's likely some truth to it. But it would be a, a really intelligent signing for them. He's a really creative player who could add something to the team. Um, Barcelona's Lionel Messi and Atletico Madrid's Luis Suarez, both 33, plan to play together for Major League Soccer side into Miami, but not until 2022. Given Messi is a free agent, this summer does that mean he's only going to sign a one-year deal somewhere in which case he might as well stay at Barca um or join Suarez at Atletico they are obviously very very close friends so it wouldn't surprise me if they went off there and obviously into Miami is David Beckham's team so would make sense the you know life in Miami playing for Bex be happy happy enough with that AC Milan are confident of securing a deal to keep 21-year-old Italy goalkeeper Gianluigi Donnarumma, uh, yeah, they'd offer him the sun, the moon, and the stars. He'll sign it, and then Mino Oriola will be kicking up in arson in 18 months about wanting a new deal, so, you know, it is what it is. Uh, not the player's fault, but the agent is obviously notorious. Turkey midfielder H- Hakan Celenaglu is waiting to receive a new contract offer from AC Milan. He and the club remain significantly apart in terms of wage demands. If I was them, I wouldn't I wouldn't give him a new contract. I'd try and sell him. I know he's playing well, and I know he's an important part of the team at the minute, but he's been there quite a while, and he largely has been disappointing. And as much as I like him, I think I'd move him on. Um, manager Jose Mourinho is hopeful of being reunited with Spain defender Sergio Ramos as he monitors his contract standoff at Real Madrid, yeah, dude, please sign him, please, it'd be great for comedic value alone, watching him get ruined in the Premier League, it'd be great. Uh, Inter Milan are interested in Liverpool's 25 year old Belgian striker, Divock Origi, I've, I've heard this a few places, apparently they want him as a backup to Romelu Lukaku, whether he's willing to go somewhere else, uh, I don't know, would be a backup, I don't know. Um, Sheffield Wednesday want to hire former Barnsley boss Jose Mares as a replacement They've of course made the sad decision to sack Tony after only ten games, but one win does kind of get you the sack. So you know it is what it is. Um, I'm expecting more gammon in the replacement than than you know someone as as fancy as Jose, but uh, we'll we'll wait and see. Uh, former Paris Saint Germain manager Thomas Tuchel is in line to succeed under pressure Frank Lampard again. This is one doing the rounds, and this would not surprise me at all. I think this would be. For Chelsea, I think that's a, a, a move that makes sense. I mean, Frank just isn't up to the task, simple as that. Tuchel is is one of the better attacking coaches in Europe. Um, and if he can just get along with people for a change, I think that could work out quite well for him. Um, Spain midfielder Isco is likely to leave Real Madrid for the Premier League rather than Serie A with Arsenal and Everton keen on the 28-year-old playmaker. I, if Arsenal are going to play a 43-1, then maybe... For Everton, I don't know where he'd play because he can't play him in midfield three because he won't work. He won't run. He just stands about waiting for the ball. Aston Villa could move for Inter Milan's Uruguayan midfielder Matthias Vicino in January. If they need someone for depth, sure. I, I don't think they have a need in central midfield. Um, even if they go back to the back to the midfield three, which I expect them to do once Barkley is back. Barkley, Louise, McGinn... Then they've got uh Marvellous Nakamba, uh, the young Ramsey kid. I, I don't see a need for a midfielder at Villa. Uh centre-back. can see a need for a centre-back. Someone next to Konza is what they need. Uh, Newcastle are likely to rely on loan signings in January with Manchester Uniteds. Brandon Williams, among the names mentioned, he has been linked with everybody. Absolutely everybody. There's going to be a cue to get Brandon Williams in January. Poor lad won't know what to do with himself. Middlesbrough are interested in Yannick That's Obviously, that's an obvious one. Um, Would make sense for all parties. He needs to move on. Everton, just let the boy go. Just cut his contract up and let him leave and stop holding him hostage there. Uh, Mark Noble does not know where Declan Rice's future lies. I wouldn't expect him to. I I don't think Declan Rice is turning around and telling people he's going to Chelsea because I think his mates have stopped talking to him. But Declan Rice probably doesn't even know. I mean, there's other clubs that will be in for him as well. Manchester United, rumoured to like him. So I doubt Declan Rice knows. So how's Mark Noble going to know? A deal to take over Burnley is set to be completed at the end of the week, which will give manager Sean Dyche a boost as he bids to strengthen his squad in January. Hopefully, 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 there's some money put into that squad because with Sean Dyche, he will make the most of everything penny he's given as long as he doesn't sign any defenders from Middlesbrough just don't sign centre-backs from Middlesbrough and you'll be fine Um, but they need they need to add, they need one at the back for depth, maybe if you could get an upgrade on Ben Mee, you'd probably do that but at least one for depth they need at least one one wide player, preferably a starter quality Um, and then maybe one for depth as well Um, and you wouldn't mind them bringing in something different up front just a different, like, a better version of Vidra would be really good. Um, and then maybe let Vidra go to a championship team, because he always does well in the championship. And that's it. That is our show. That is us for today, wrapped up within the hour. Thank you very much. Um, thank you, as always, for listening. you really do hope you all had a good Christmas, and I'm looking forward to the new year. It can't be any worse than the past year. It can't be. It can't be worse than 2020. 2020 was a one-off. Let's all just hope with the vaccines and with vaccination processes uh, procedures been put in place that everybody can get back to normal at some point within the next year. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow. Um, I'm going to be here tomorrow, Thursday, probably Friday as well. What's the point in taking New Year's day off? I might as well just get, get something out for you to listen to. Thank you as always for your continued support. Thank you for listening today. Thank you to Guy Drinkle and thank you to Foxhound. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Network.